Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode two, and I am joined today by other people, as uh, I right. would have promised that I'd be doing. So uh, with me is my co-host, Maggie Park, who's going to be joining me uh, weekly. Hi, Maggie. Glad you could join us today. Hey, and not, I'm uh, glad I'm here finally. Yeah, Thanks. exactly. <laughs> Prevented by an act of God last week, but, <laughs> but uh, with us here this week. Um, and as our special guest here, our first uh, guest on Other Minds and Hands, we have New Better from TikTok. Good to see you and uh, be with you here today. Hey, how you doing? It's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to be a guest. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the invite. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I met uh, New Better at a thing that we were doing with the OneRing.net in their post Super Bowl uh, trailer discussion. Um, we were both on there, but we were in a big, huge panel of a whole bunch of people, uh, and New Better was one of the people that I kept wa wanting to talk back and forth with. But there were so many people Same. who were talking, <laughs> we didn't really get a chance to connect. And I'm like, okay. Really, really, I was like, that I, guy, I want, to, I want to talk to that guy. Like <laughs> that's exactly what I was saying. And in fact, New Better, like everybody, like all of my, you know, all of my followers and community were all like, who was that guy? Like, we've got to get him on to talk. So anyway, that was, that was, they've, they've been looking forward to this. Um, Thank you. So, Thank uh, you so much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, I, I want to start off talking about some of the things um, that, some of the decisions that they're going to have to make. Right. Um, and these are things which are not necessarily going to be the first things that are on the minds of a lot of Tolkien fans, right? A lot of Tolkien fans, they're thinking about Galadriel and they're thinking about the Galadriel that they know from the Lord of the Rings book and yeah. from the Peter Jackson films, right? And so they're thinking about Galadriel and what are they doing with Galadriel? Um, that's a, an, an interesting question and an important question. But there are a bunch of other things that, because of course the Second Age is really sketchy in Tolkien's you know, in Tolkien's history, right? As he worked this out. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that he kind of said and changed his mind about and kind of developed over time and that which are, which they're going to have to make choices about, right? And they're going to have to, yeah. going to have to uh, decide. So let's start off with the comment you made, you know, a couple of weeks back that I didn't get a chance to respond to so that we can talk about that. Cause you were talking about uh, Gilgalad particularly and the, the, the choices that they're gonna have to make there. So why don't you sort of start off by talking a little bit about what's at stake here with Gilgalad. What are, you know, the, the Gilgalad's kind of place in Tolkien's imagination as it kind of grew and developed and what the issue is there. So if we're talking about the second age uh, Gilgalad is the high king of the Noldor elves. So he rules the kingdom of Linden, which is basically the, the largest kingdom of the elves. He basically holds the power in uh, northern Eriador in, in the world, pretty much. Right. He, he kind of rules all the elves, if you want to say, even though there's other <laughs> kingdoms, he's the big king, right? right. right. So then we have uh, Aragion, and then we have Celebrimbor, who kind of is in charge of Aragion. He rules Aragion, if you want to say. But remember, he's a Noldor elf. So the thing with Gildegalad, which I think is really important, is in the first age, uh, in the Silmarillion, if uh, if anybody in here has read the Silmarillion, we know that in the actual book itself, Gildegalad is said to be the son of Fingon, who is the son of Fingolfin. And literally, these are the bravest, strongest elves. Fingolfin fought Morgoth. Fingon uh, drove off Glaurung. Fingon was it's called the Valiant. Very brave, very valuable, important elves in the first age. And uh, Fingon's son was said to be Gilgalad. So that lineage is very, very extremely important. Important. So in the book, after um, Turgon dies, 
Gilgalad becomes the high king of the Noldor, even though he was sent to the Havens and he was off uh, with Círdan. Um, this, this literally, I think it goes perfectly with the storyline. Círdan survives into the Second Age, Gilgalad being with Círdan. Everything shifts over perfectly. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, um, I think Tolkien wanted to change some things um, with the lineage and kind of correct some things. He, he said, uh, Christopher said that the naming was wrong or, or the lineage was wrong, and Tolkien actually meant for Gilgalad to be Ordreth's son. And Ordreth, who was at one point in the Silmarillion, was the brother of um, Finrod and Finrod the brother Felica, of Galadriel. Yeah. He was the second eldest. Right. This even made more sense when he was the brother, but then he changed it to the being the nephew of Finrod and the son of Angrod. So literally that changes a lot. Also, if you know from the Silmarillion, forgive me if I'm going on a tangent and sounding like I'm going down a rabbit hole. It's what we do. Ordreth, <laughs> yeah, it's totally what we do. Ordreth is a terrible king. He's he's terrible in the sense that he's not bad. He's just weak. He gets he gets uh Tolsirian taken from him by Sauron. He also allows Nargothron to be usurped by Turin Rumbar, also uh, by uh, Kelegorm Akurafin, and he's just very weak. He doesn't make very strong, powerful decisions, and then the ultimate downfall of Nargothron is when he allows Turin to build a bridge over the river Narog, and then Glaurung comes in and destroys uh, Nargothron. Now, I'm saying all that to say this. Making Gilgalad Ordreth's son is a horrible retcon, and I'm sorry to go against Tolkien, but <laughs> Gilgalad is known as Gilgalad is literally they they sing songs of Gilgalad. He is valiant. His spear is is literally unmatched in the world yeah. in the Second Age, and he's the longest lasting reigning High King of the Noldor ever. Yeah, he he rules and expands his kingdom. He he's losing against Sauron, but he doesn't completely lose and at the end he fights Sauron in a very valiant effort and dies but because of his efforts they're able to defeat Sauron so making him Ordreth's son doesn't make any sense because Ordreth is terrible keeping him in line with uh, Fingolfin and Fingon would give him the much needed you know uh, it it just brings uh, validation to his kingship it just makes more sense in the overall arc, and it doesn't make sense also for him to be uh, Ordreth's son, um, son because Ordreth sends him to the Havens. Okay, let's say that it's retcon and Ordreth sends him to the Haven. Why would he send his son to the Havens to survive, but he would leave his daughter Fingulus to die in Nargothrond? That literally makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So just some some retcons that kind of go wrong, I think. And this is my opinion. I don't mean to uh, go against the great master Tolkien, but it just doesn't seem to make sense. And being that it's left in the books and it's a retcon after, I think that's something they can play with and they can say, let's just keep it this way. It's already that way. Everybody's read it that way. And if you're a kind of a Tolkien nut, you wouldn't know that he's Ordreth's son and that he wanted to change that because it kind of doesn't really work out. Certain things Tolkien was kind of like on the fence with don't actually work out when he tried to change him in the end. And, it, and it's just something that wasn't really seen by him before he passed. And his son just kind of wanted to keep with his father's, you know, wishes, I guess, and, and write, you know, truly what he what he wrote in his notes. But some things were better left unchanged, and I think that's one of them. So I, I hope I didn't, you know, go crazy a bit there. But <laughs> in the second age, uh, Gilgalad is that guy. 
and ultimately he's the high king. And I also got into a conversation whereas Kellebrimbor, uh, sorry, Kellebrimbor is technically, if we want to be honest, the rightful heir to the throne because his line was the Feanor's line. Feanor is the eldest son. Feanor and then um, Maethros became king. Um, but then Maethros gave up the kingship after he was saved by uh, Gilgalad's father in the Silmarillion Fingon, which the two were very close. They were best friends. So he, he gave it up to his uncle Fingolfin, and then that line became uh, the, the, the king line. But I think it would be really interesting going forward, which I think this is an option for tension, if Celebrimbor and Gilgalad get along famously, but there's kind of a tension that Sauron plays on being with Celebrimbor, like, hey, man, you, you kind of should be the rightful king. Right. Why don't you let me teach you how to do these to, to be better? They don't even want to uh, admit me in there because they don't want anybody to be better than them. You you guys are great builders. You're the grandson of Feanor. Just It's just things that you can take from the writing and then you, and you can accentuate and then you can... This is all there for you to play yeah. with. And I think it would be really, really good writing and it would be true mm. to the story. Think about that. It would be absolutely pertinent for them to do that. It would, it would just make sense. Because that's something Sauron would do, Anatar would do. Very lightly, just sprinkle the idea that, hey, you're, you're Feanor's grandson. Wasn't he the exactly. high king of the Noldor? Aren't and you the rightful ruler? Why are and you if the they did that. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Maggie. So I, th I thought that. that was a great thing yeah. that they, sh they could do, you know, if they wanted to, to add drama, but drama that was actually there behind the scenes, not a created drama where they tend to do a lot of times, which... That part of people's fears, I do understand. But yeah. at the same time, the second age is the age we know the least about. So you got to understand they're going to have to create a lot of stories and drama because they have to fill the gaps. We only have a couple, a few pages. Oh, actually, man, it is not much. The second yeah. age. Yeah. Not Especially. much at all. And people don't realize that. So. Exactly. That's what's quite exciting, though. I mean, if they do tap into exactly what you just described, then they're showing us that they've done some research. So, like, in terms yeah. of fan service, that would go down real well. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a lot. Um, even Gilgalad, um, say, say we, the, Sauron plays on um, Celebrimbor's, um, you know, lineage, and he's like, okay, against Gilgalad. Um, we, we can also have Gilgalad being not sure, sort of like how in the Lord of the Rings movie, which you know about, Aragorn wasn't sure. He was kind of, oh, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to fall in the same right. way that right. um, Sildor did. They can play the same way with Gilgalad because if we remember in the first age, Gilgalad arrives too late to save Elrond and his yeah. brother Elrond. He arrives too late, and the third kinsling takes place in the havens of Syrian and they get killed. Um, the, all the elves get killed. Elrond and Elros are raised by Maglor. So literally they can have a little tensions there to where Elrond has to kind of forgive Gilgalad maybe. Something like that. It's all there to play with because this did happen. We don't know how Gilgalad actually felt about it, but we do know he arrived too late. Elrond was taken. Elrond was raised, he was fostered by the bad guys. You know what I'm saying? And so I think there's so much there People shouldn't try to add necessarily so much drama where you can take from the original story where the drama yeah. is there if you look for it. And then you yeah. can add, of, of course, you have to fill in the gaps where there aren't story there. But, you know, play on those things that you do have. I think yeah. that's very important. So um, the second age kind of would benefit from drawing from the first age, if you get my meaning. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so I would, uh, I'd, I'd, let's go even sort of one level below that and think about those two genealogies, right? Think about the, because um, what I want to think about is like, let's just sort of imagine, imagine you're making one choice or the other, right? Yeah. So you're, you're the Amazon team and you're like, okay, we're going to go son of Fingon, right? And then let's think we're going to go son of Oridreth. Right. And what are the what are the consequences? Like what what kind of because I think one thing is I don't now I I agree with you. I like uh, like purely objectively. I like uh, the son of Fingon better. I always have. Right. But there are some other opportunities that the son of Oridreth gives you. Um, and of course, a lot of people. I, I one of the things I've been doing for years is I have this broadcast called the Silmarillion Film Project, where we're planning a th totally theoretical adaptation of the Silmarillion, a TV adaptation of the Silmarillion, and kind of discussing the choices we'd make and how we'd do that. And we actually chose the Oridreth one for Gilgalad. Okay. Um, uh, not because not because like objectively I think it's better, but because it, it just it created some really interesting character potentials as we were developing these different characters and things. Um, and uh, anyway, so th there were just there were a bunch of things that we liked better about what we could do with that with the story. Anyway, so nice, nice. let's think Son of Fingon first, right? If this character in the show is the Son of Fingon, who is therefore like one of the things that seems to me to go along with this is that. In that genealogy, he is clearly the presumptive High King, right? Like yes. when Turgon dies, like everybody knows. When Turgon dies, it's going to be Gogolad, right? Clearly, it's yes. going to be Gogolad. And therefore, them sending him down to Círdan puts him in the position of like uh, a medieval crown prince who gets, you know, sent off as a ward to, you know, somebody else, especially to keep him, like, let's keep him safe and make sure, like, he's the, he's the heir, right? So we need yeah. to make sure that, like, while Morgoth is stomping on everybody around Beleriand, we want to make sure that he's going to be the last one to be stomped on because he's the hope of the future, right? Yeah. And so a Gilgalad who was raised knowing, like, He's the hope of the future. Like that's like his whole context of life is like I am the future heir. I am uh, I'm being protected down here, and there are lots of ways in which that can factor into the kind of person he is, the kind of leader he is, the kind of uh, like his own personality, his own strengths and weaknesses. Right? I mean, maybe maybe it makes him arrogant. Right? Maybe he's like, oh yeah, it's all about me. Right? Um, maybe he is. Um, Maybe he is like carrying guilt from the first age because while everybody else was fighting and dying, he was being sheltered and protected, right? And wasn't a part of almost anything that happened, until, as you say, until we get to like the third kinslaying. And even there, he doesn't, you know, accomplish anything, <laughs> right? So, uh, so I mean, he, he would be looking back on everything that he knew and saw everything that his, you know, parents and grandparents and everything went through and be like, yeah, I kind of, I pretty much sat that out. Right. Um, and you could take that in a couple interesting directions. Right. Now it's his time. Right. Now it's the second age. The the elves that are left here are in his charge. It's time for him to finally be what he was meant to be. There's some interesting storylines that you could do, some interesting character development that you could do with a Gilgalad in that position. Right. Yeah. Now let's take the son of Oridreth version. Right. The son of Oridreth who becomes the high king. Well, yeah, and I totally agree with you about Oridreth, right? Not only is Oridreth himself very weak in all of the stories, right? He's a very weak king, um, exactly as you said. Um, 
the choice to remove Oradreth from being like uh, Finrod's wimpy little brother, which is kind of what he is in this published Silmarillion, right? Um, to being the son of Angrod, who is himself a hothead. I mean, the almost the only thing that we see from Angrod is his like uh, rash, angry speeches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Yelling at folks, right? Exactly. And 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 yeah. So when he when he basically is kind of speaking when he should probably shut up is, is, is what we primarily see about Angrod, right? And so if Ordreth is his son and Gilgalad is his son, right? Um, it means now we have a Gilgalad who was not the presumptive high king at all, right? I mean, it, gotcha. it would be, it's kind of a surprise at the end of the day. I mean, right. So like we come to the end of the first stage, a lot, whole bunch of people die, a whole bunch of other people sail back into the West, right? And so here we are, the last of the Noldor in Middle-earth, right? Which is a relatively small number, right? And we're looking around and be like, okay, who's High King now? And and we're, I guess um, Oradreth's kid. Let's go with Oradreth's kid. He's going to be High <laughs> King now, right? He's the I only mean, one left besides... Yeah, uh, I mean, so... Besides Celebrimbor. So, yeah. <laughs> Why? Why him instead of Celebrimbor? Again, when it's the son of Fingon, it's obvious, right? No one's yeah. asking why him. But if he's the son of Oradreth, why, why him? Is, is, is he suited for it? I mean, is, is he a natural leader that everyone's like, oh, yeah, we don't care that he's Oradreth's kid and Oradreth was a wimp. Gilgalad is the man, right? So we're going to follow Gilgalad. Um, so maybe you make him a stronger character. Maybe he is one who is, does not have that kind of anointing from his heritage, but instead is just uh, a really strong, powerful, wise leader whom everybody respects. And even Celebrimbor is like, yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to mess with that. He should be high king. Okay. Um, that could be interesting too, right? Or again, there are other ways in which we could kind of take that. Well, when you put it also. that way, <laughs> also, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I actually, there are possibilities. I like that. I like that when you when you put it that way, it gives a lot of depth to the character. Um, yeah, so I, I I definitely see where you're coming from. So this is great why we have these discussions because I never looked at it like that before. But mm -hmm. that gives a lot of growth and depth to the character. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can you can kind of see. I don't know. Like I said, I I, I think it could work either way. It just kind of yeah, yeah. and and each of them gives different though different avenues and a different starting place. Um, yeah. And I love thinking exactly as you were saying about the relationship. I think it's going to be. I always want to be careful because I sometimes will talk about like. I'll, I'll sometimes say something like, I'm going to be really interested in the elf politics of the Second Age. And I don't mean like political scheming, like Game of Thrones yeah. stuff, but we're going to have to figure out like, what is the relationship, right? Yeah. How do Gilgalad, Celebrimbor, and Galadriel operate? What's their relationship with each operate? other? Which retcon did they, they do for Galadriel and yeah. uh, Celebrimbor? Very important. That, that was going to be something that I brought up because we can segue into that. That yeah. is possibly the second most important relationship in the second age. Yeah, a lot of things happen with Galadriel. A lot of things happen with Celebrimbor, clearly. Yep. Their relationship is integral. Um, yep. You know, did they, are they friends? You know, obviously they're family, but are, right. they, are, they, are they friends? <laughs> did, right. did he have a crush on her? What, like what? Um, yeah. Also, the armor, the armor that we see, is that a Feanorian star? Is is what what are we doing? I, I was explaining to people. Um, sorry if I got yeah, off topic no, for a second. No, 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 I don't know. I was explaining to people that if, if it's a Feanorian star, it makes absolute perfect sense if you know the backstory between Galadriel. Either way, Galadriel and Celebrimbor, um, whether they're just best friends or whether they're uh, he secretly loves her. Either way, 
him making that armor makes perfect sense. She spent time. She when she first came over, she was in she was in Linden. Then she went to Arabia. She spent time there. She went through Kazadum, um, as we know, which is a callback to the movie and the book where she speaks the language of Kazadum and and says the one of the lines of the poem that he actually Gimli was reciting in Kazadum. And she went through there, and then she went to Lorien, which all was a callback to her wanting lands of her own from the first age and back to Feanor, who she actually didn't like. So people were confused. They said she didn't like Feanor. She didn't give him the strands of hair. Why would she take a Feanorian star? It has nothing to do with Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor repudiated the deeds of not only right. his father and his uncles, but also his, his grandfather, which I think yes. all of them are trying to remove themselves from his actions except for his direct seven sons. So right. she, she actually looked at him as, you know what, you're wise. You're making smarter, wiser decisions. Me and you are friends, and not the only not only that, but he is the greatest smith of that age, second only to Feanor. It is expressly said he is second only to Feanor. So anything he makes, you want. Right. <laughs> so if she's gonna get armor in the show, she's gonna take armor from not only her best friend, but she's gonna take Celebrimbor's armor, and and Celebrimbor is still wise enough to, and. I'd say nice enough to acknowledge Feanor is my grandfather. He's the greatest. I still am in that line, regardless of his actions or his son's actions. I carry that line. He put it over the, 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 the doors of Moria, and I'm going to still have that. Now, it's, some people say it might not be that star, but this is just in the case that it is that star, and they did yeah. a variation of it. It kind of so, looks like that star, for sure. Yeah, it kind of looks like it. It has the yeah. eight points. The eight I think point it star, is. yeah. It makes sense, and it, like it literally makes perfect sense, and it actually blows my mind that some people are like, "Why would she do that?" It actually, makes perfect sense. I I just wish people more people would read um, before they just you know jump out with the. I think the questions are kind of weird sometimes. If you don't know, it's completely okay to say, "Hey, I don't know. Why Why would she do that?" I'm curious. Right. I think they're saying it the other way. Like, why would she do that? That's not right. Actually, it, it is. It makes perfect sense. Or it's potentially Especially right. Like it's it's it. an option. Yeah. It yeah. literally is definitely an option for her yeah. to do that, and it, it would make perfect sense. Anybody who dwelt in Aragion, why wouldn't you want the the Smiths of Aragion's armor? They literally the greatest Smiths <laughs> since Feanor. That right. says a lot. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. And um, yeah, and and just to I, and just to make sure that it's clear, because a lot of people don't know this. Um, what you were referring to about a potential love interest between Galadriel and Celebrimbor, Tolkien totally wrote that, right? Now, it's not yeah. like... It's not it's a thing he was playing story. with, right? It's a thing yeah, he was playing with. Um, you can read about that in Unfinished Tales. He even wrote mm -hmm. dialogue. Like, he wrote a speech for Celebrimbor to give to Galadriel. Now, it's after the fact. She's already chosen Celeborn. She's married at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and Celebrimbor is all like, hey, you know, like, I think we could have been good together, but whatever. Like, no offense. Like, uh, you know, no hard feelings like you and Celeborn, I'm sure, are going to be great because everybody knows Celeborn's awesome. But uh, sorry, that was a joke. I tease Celeborn all the time. Like, uh, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's funny. yeah. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's like the trophy husband. But anyway, um, uh, and she is so cute how she tries to make him feel involved. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> so but yeah, so th this was this this was an idea that Tolkien had. And again, and to me, this is a classic example. Um, you're right. It's one of the things that I, too, have been spending a lot of time trying to get people to just like stop reacting and start 
like thinking things through, right? Start thinking things through, stop reacting. Um, there are so many things that are in Tolkien or like that Tolkien, ideas that Tolkien himself considered yeah. and toyed with um, and yeah. had, you know, had in his mind, which a lot of people hear and they just, they're, so, I mean, again, like imagine if, the, if they did, if they do have a love interest, right? Yeah. If there is any kind of love triangle going on between Goadriel and Caliborn and Celebrimbor, I, there's going to be thousands and thousands of people who are going to say like, that's an outrageous violation of Tolkien's thinking. And that's like the, see, look, there they are just like forcing this love interest in where it has no business. And like, it's Tolkien thought that, it's right? Tolkien wrote that. <laughs> Tolkien, <laughs> Tolkien was considering that. Now that doesn't mean they have to do it. It doesn't mean and, they and, have you to know, do it. And, it's, and it doesn't mean it'll be good if they do do it. It might yeah. be horrible, and it might end up being really cringy. But uh, but we we have to like the the, the, the knee jerk reaction to just say like that is a horrible violation. Like actually, it's out there. Like it's out there. Tolkien put that out there. It's a possibility. Now I'm not a huge fan of that uh, myself. I don't think I'd make that choice. Street, but. So- it being a one-way street with the, with with Celebrimbor loving Galadriel. Galadriel didn't love Celebrimbor back yeah. in that way. That, yeah. I'm fine with that. It's the same thing as with Maeglin and um, Idril Celebrimbor. So Maeglin loved Idril, their first cousins. Now Celebrimbor and Galadriel are first cousins once removed because her um, Celebrimbor and I mean Corfin uh, uh, and Galadriel are first cousins. So right. literally, that's out of the question in Elven culture anything uh higher than cousins of the second degree as is stated in when um Meglin loves Idril yes it's a no-go so this is right. also a no-go so I could see it Mikela Brimbor you know loving her and you know it's happened before but Galadriel being like no no we're cousins. I'm so not no. into that yeah, no, I'm <laughs> yeah not into that. No. also I'm married but right that doesn't take away from Keller Brimbor's feelings they yeah. may be right. best friends still. He may secretly just love her. He may secretly do things for her. And this is, you know, this is and, a possibility. And it's written down. And if yeah. and you want another example, go back, read The Fall of Gondolin, or read Of Meglin, the chapter Of Meglin, and mm-hmm. The Silmarillion, you will see he is in love with Idril Celebrindle. So right. his first cousin, literally, their parents are sisters. So, uh, a brother and sister. So it's it's a thing. And it's, yeah. it's toyed with. Um, as far as with Galadriel and Celebrimbor, and it shouldn't be a shock to anyone. Either way they go is a possibility. I'd rather see them not go. I'd rather them be really close, and she'd be proud of him that he didn't go down the Feanorian, you know, hate, kill everybody line. Um, They become close friends. He still makes some bad decisions, um, which I'd like to see going forward. I'd love to see that. But um, there's not a ton they can actually do. And that's another thing I think we should probably talk about. They can't do hardly anything. And all the stuff people are hating on, they can't do. <laughs> a lot of stuff that people are like, who are these characters? I, I, I often wish everybody had a, um, a way to go live and to ask these questions live. Because it's real easy to type a bunch of nonsense and you sound real smart when you're like, well... <laughs> How can they do this? Why are they making that story? I'm, I would literally just ask them this question and let them not be able to answer it. What happened in the Second Age and how many people are described in these stories? And they, they're they not going to get past 10. Right. Yeah. They're yeah, not going to get it, past 10. They're not going to be able to describe anything but a few events 
and then I'm going to be like, so where's the rest of the story? Exactly. Especially the thing that, I, and again, it's I, I, my, you know, my theme is don't react, think it through. Right. Um, exactly. When they, when they, I, I've heard people saying like, oh, look at these invented human characters that they're forcing in. Right. Like Bronwyn, the hewer lady and Halbrand, <laughs> the whoever he is right on the raft with Goadriel. Um, to, I'd say, OK, let's talk about human characters in Middle Earth in the Second Age. Start listing them for me. OK, that's it. Yeah, we none, none. We get <laughs> none. Numenorians who come over, but we know nothing at <laughs> nothing all. About uh, you know, Tolkien gives a one-sentence synopsis of what was happening with the humans in Middle Earth yeah. at that time, and the, it goes like this: the lot of men was unhappy. There we go. <laughs> there we go. The lot of men was unhappy in Middle Earth. Stuck right? in the sec- they were stuck in the Dark Ages very much. They were backward. The Numenorians came over. Some were good. Some you some usurped the men of Middle Earth. That is literally all you know. That is literally that's what makes it perfect adaptation fodder. We can do whatever we want. Exactly. So I I, I once said to someone um, who said that same thing, um, I was like, oh, um, so it doesn't say anybody had wives. So um, because it doesn't say that, (laughs) did that not happen? So we shouldn't put anybody having a wife in there because it doesn't say that in the they, Silmarillion? Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, literally, yeah. they had to have children and everything. Clearly, there's going <laughs> right. to be people in the stories that aren't mentioned that we have to bring these races in. We know we know from, you got to use your brain, we know from future events and past events kind of what happens. So even with the nine, we'll use the nine as an example, right? right. We don't know who the nine are. Wrong. We know actually a little bit about the nine. A little actually, bit, yeah. We know a little bit. We know that three of them were black Numenorians. Do we have to know their names? No. They were high lords of Numenor that came over to places like Umbar, Lebanon, and they right. had even even Amroth, and, and, and they had settlements on the coast. Right. The black Numenorians settled on the coast, and they were the ones to usurp the men of Middle Earth and do wicked things. That's why they were called black Numenorians. So we have, boom, we know that. The Witch King should be one of these. Probably the most powerful one. Probably the one that settled at Umbar, maybe. Possible. Whatever they do, possible. It doesn't matter. Right. We kind of right. know that much. But if you didn't think about that, you're not thinking that. Then we know a couple of them went over to Harrod. Boom. We know the Haradrim should be in the Second Age. We should see some kind of interaction. Definitely. Boom. The Easterlings. Kumal, the Black Easterling. Right. Boom. The one Nazgul we know the name of. <laughs> like, come on. Like, it's not that difficult. So we actually do know. So these peoples, we can't just have him be the one guy and him not have a following. And it, and they would have to play on. They would have to create other characters to, yeah. to, for him to, to 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 trick, rule over something to interact to deal with. We know the Easterlings from now. We know the Haradrim from now. We know that yeah. they worship Sauron. We know that Melkor. Way, way in the depths of time, discovered men first and, and left Angband in, uh, with Sauron, and he went over and he tr- corrupted them. This is why the Easterlings and the Haradrim and the Southrons and possibly men from Rune, possibly, were under Sauron's uh, rule and his in, in engagement because he got to them first. He influenced them, not because yes. they were inherently evil. It yes. expressly says 
he got to them first. That's this is what happened. They yes. they worshipped him. His abode was surrounded by fire. These are all things we can put in. They do have the rights to the Lord of the Rings, so we can put these things in. Very simple. So the nine, we can bring them to the forefront. But the people that are actually behind the nine, the Haradrim, right. the Easterlings, the Black right. Numenorians, we can bring them into play. We have to create other characters for this. So it doesn't not make sense. It makes it doesn't it makes not perfect make sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to it doesn't make not make characters. Sense. It makes agreed. Agreed. Sense. Create other characters and to bring them to the forefront to see other Elven kingdoms that we know, we know. Um, not, uh, or, uh, not Ordreth, um, Orifer, mm-hmm. not like the Noldor Elves. Right. Who comes over in the Second Age? The Noldor Elves. It takes a great feat for uh, Gilgalad and, and Elendil to convince Orifer, who didn't listen to him at the end. This is how he died. Right. To, to, he didn't want to listen to them, and he went forward in battle and died in, in the battle of, of, of Dagolad. So Dagolad, yeah. you know that there was some tension there. He didn't like them. This is something we can bring the Sylvan Elves from that area, and now we have, oh, Sylvan Elves that we don't know necessarily know about. We know that the Elves, there's Elves near the White Mountains, where Amroth ends up going and, um, you know, going to um, Umbar and um, near um, Amroth, where he went to go sail away right. in the Third Age. We know that right. there are Elves settlements there where they leave. There's Elven settlements of Sylvan Elves in Lorien. Now we see, we, we, learn, we know from the story of Nimrodel that she didn't like that Galadriel and Kelleborn. Right. There's tensions there. There's ways to yes. play. This is all comes from the second age when they came over and they interacted in the first place. So it's yes. not as simple as just saying, oh, this didn't happen. No, it very much did happen. Now we have a, a, a base history where even just the simplest phrase can turn into a great drama as long as you know how to incorporate the people and make them interact and bring them to the forefront. We can bring Sylvan Elves into the equation, have them not necessarily get along with the Noldor Elves at first. Galadriel win them over and ends up going, and, and, and there's still tension there, but she ends up going, boom. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a bunch of stuff you can do, but we need those integral side characters that you say don't exist. We need them. We can't just have the one character. We can't just have Galadriel talk to... Yeah. One Sylvan Elf, and then everything, that's not going to make any sense. Because well, then you're going to be like, Where, yeah. where's the world? Where's the where's world? The world? Where's, where's the, the other, world? The that's other? a perfect question. Because, of course, that's <laughs> the other thing we think about, right? If we, we we go through our list of, you know, ten characters, like the, the list of characters that Tolkien did actually describe or mention in the Second Age, he mentioned them in the context of this, like, big picture... Yeah. Geneo- genealogical, um, like major events in history. In other words, they're almost all kings and queens and and yeah. rulers of the lands. The most right? flushed out is Numenor. That's the most flushed out. Exactly. Part is the exactly. Calabeth. That's the most flushed out part of the second age that we have. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to talk about anybody, so the Sylvan Elves are a great example, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, we have Orifer, right? And we know, by extension, Thranduil. And Legolas is probably not around yet, but we don't even know for sure when Legolas was born. So, uh, but anyway, okay, but like, in case we might want to tell a story about somebody besides the king, we need to invent a character. <laughs> because yeah. the only one we have is the, I mean, this is like, a, a, you know, I mean, goodness, of course, this is like giving me flashbacks to the many, 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 many conversations I had about Toriel in the Hobbit films, right? Yeah. Um, when people were <laughs> okay. saying, like, why would they invent a new character like that? And I'm like, because literally the only elf character who is like 
involved in the story is the king who is only called Elven King in the book, right? So, I mean, the, the, I know the, we get the butler and the, and the you know. Say, but, literally the butler and the king. The butler, right. Is that, and we don't know anything about him, right? Apart from the fact yeah. that he gets drunk. So anyway, it's, it's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much um, that there's so much. I mean, so yes, they, 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 Peter Jackson, I always said, like Peter Jackson needed to invent another character so that yeah. we could have somebody besides Thranduil and Legolas involved in the story in any way, right? And that yeah. made... That makes the story more interesting. Now, again, I'm not just as my saying, I think the invention of the character of Toriel makes perfect sense. And by the way, if you're going to invent a character in The Hobbit because you need that in order to flesh out the story, why should it not be a woman when there are no yeah. female characters in The Hobbit? Like, again, like, how is it yeah. even defensible to make up another male character under those circumstances? But whatever. Yeah. Um, although I absolutely think it's not only defensible, it's utterly logical. It was almost necessary for them to yeah. make up a character like her. That doesn't mean I'm saying I think what they did with Toriel's character was awesome. I don't. Yeah, I did, you know, I did, it was. I, <laughs> I agreed with the creation of the character. And it, it made sense, and and then they just they kind of it got away from them, and they yeah. wanted to create too much drama, and which they and often the do. whole tacky and, love triangle thing. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that was weird. It went a weird direction. It makes no sense in in the sense of any of the history between the elves and the dwarves at all. They would never fall in love just because literally they're juxtaposition races that are literally made to not. The, the, <laughs> right. We're lucky we got the, the, the friendships that we got out of it. Love, <laughs> right. right. Get it out of here. It's not going to happen between those two. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So I, I but understand no, it's... people's problems with that, but. Exactly. But, but again, so, and again, so I would just, again, say the same thing about, uh, about the, and again, uh, this is another thing, like, don't react, think it through, right? Just because, you know, all of these things that we're talking about are on the table, right? All of, you know, ways they can develop Gilgoad's character, ways they can develop Celebrimbor and Goadriel's relationship, ways in which they can develop, um, you know, the human angles and what's going on. As you say, where's the world, right? What was it like for humans in Eregion? Right, we know they were there. Like the Brelanders have been there, you know, all through. It says that, right? It says that. Were there. So and we know there are human cultures there, right? So, yeah. um, so uh, how were they? What was their relationship with the elves like, right? Did yeah. they interact with them at all? What did they think yeah. about them? Um, and what was their like? I mean, if meanwhile, while Eregion is going on, even before things, you know, Sauron comes in and things go bad, um, if the lot of men in Middle-earth was unhappy. What was their perspective towards the elves? What was the elves' perspective? I mean, so I, I actually, the thing, if I had to point to one story that I find most tantalizing in a positive way, like one that I'm really interested to see where they develop it, um, that we that was pointed at or hinted at in the trailer, it's the relationship between Galadriel and Halbrand, right? Because that mm -hmm. seems to me a really interesting narrative opportunity. Right. There's an opportunity yeah. there for them to really explore. Hey, OK, high elf encounters human. Yeah. I still don't understand the circumstances. I don't know why they're on a raft, but whatever, you know, high elf encounters human. Um, and now like that, those two like worlds have to kind of deal with each other. And how are the elves going? You know, what is Galadriel going to do? in that kind of an instance. What kind of, do they feel any responsibility? I mean, she's gonna remember, many of them are gonna remember their allies, the old humans, right? Who are, yeah. you know, now the Numenorians are their descendants, but, you know, are they are they gonna be interested in making yeah. new 
alliances? Do they care if the humans are suffering and starving or whatever? I'm like, what? How's that going to work out? There's so much that could be done there. Um, and again, are they going to do it well? Are they going to do it poorly? I don't know. But I think it's a perfectly legitimate question and a really interesting yeah. question to explore. So why not? I always say all you have to do is read. So when you read the Silmarillion, and they right. and they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion, but they don't need the rights to the Silmarillion. You know the idea that is yeah. put forth in the Silmarillion. So after the Battle of Unnumbered Tears, you know we have we have the Easterlings who are basically all the other men of Middle Earth at that time, and then we have the Edain. The Edain obviously evolved into the Numenorians, and they stayed faithful and they they fought with the elves. But the Numenorians literally are the only humans that the elves trust. They do not forget what the Easterlings did in the Neanderthanoidia. Yes. Right, they right. don't forget this. So that meeting of Halberad and Galadriel could be something to where she's like, absolutely not. I don't trust y'all. She, yeah. she has to learn. But this is 100% legit because all you have to do is read and it's all <laughs> in the text. It's all yeah. in the text. Those relationships are explained expressly. Yeah. Only the descendants of the Edain are trusted by the elves. They yeah. do not deal with the rest of men. And even in the Lord of the Rings, the elves do not deal with the rest of the men like that. They they do not deal with yeah. them at yeah. all. They, they deal with the Numenorians and fight with the Numenorians. They don't deal with the Dunlendings. You don't see any dealings with the elves and the Dunlendings or the, the, the Druidain or, or anybody mm -hmm. else. They don't deal with the men from Bree, only the direct descendants from the Edain because they know what they did for them and basically at their own um, own I think the Edain are great because they they did not have to get involved. Right, exactly. They totally did agree. not have to get involved. This is why Numenor was gifted to them. They right. could have just been like, you're on your own. This isn't mm -hmm. our problem. Exactly. But of course, it still, it creates a really interesting point. Because again, like, you're absolutely right. It's every reason to think that like the mainline elf response would be, oh yeah, those humans, descendants of the Easterlings, we don't trust them. Descendants of who? The Easterlings from what, like a thousand years ago? Right? And you're still <laughs> yeah. blaming the people that, you know, that were descended from them, you know, a hundred generations yeah. later. Uh, I mean, like, I, that is, there's a lot of bigotry that could be yeah. happening, you know, among the elves to say like, exactly. wait, seriously, you're just like a racist. You just hate humans. Um, and, like, or and everyone who's the not them. Too. Right. The I humans mean, only, I think the human, I apologize. The humans yeah. only know of the Ivari and yeah. some of the Sylvan elves. They don't know about the high elves. Yeah. They never went west, uh, west into Valerian. Um, right. Those humans that stayed in Eriador and those places are all in modern right. middle earth that we know don't really know, especially the, the ones that aren't part of the Edain. They don't know about the high elves. They don't know the differences. So if they had any encounters with the Avari where they, they had a problem, uh, right. then they're going to run into Galadriel and be like, yeah, I don't know exactly. who, who is you. You're one of them. You you're one of them. Yeah, yeah you're exactly. Them. So. Exactly. So no, I mean, there's a lot of, in, as you say, in both directions, there's a lot of potential tension and conflict and, you know, that, and so the idea of having you know, a storyline in which, you know, wh where we get the development of a human character, like looks like Halbrand is probably going to be a significant character, right? So we get him yeah. as a, the kind of, I don't know, like sort of spokesperson, or, you know, the point of contact with that culture and bringing yeah. somebody who is a point of contact with that culture into contact with somebody who is the point of contact with the high elf culture. 
that's a really interesting scenario, right? I think yeah. that's a fascinating thing to explore, um, especially since we're also going to be laying the foundation. I mean, that also lays the foundation for things as um, uh, somebody was just talking about in the in the in the comments, uh, like the Rohirrim, right? Who are yeah. you know eventually going to be? I mean, they're gonna, they're going to be you know part of that descended from the people who are there in Middle Earth um, in the Second Age. Um, to I, the Brelanders, right? We can see a bunch of different ways in which people are going to go. How is this going to pan out? What is the elves' attitude going to be? What's the human? I mean, I, Sauron is going to march into the march through that continent with an army, right? Yeah. What's going to happen? Are they going to join together? Are they not? You know, I mean, all of it is going to be presumably the whole series is going to be building up to the Last Alliance, right? Yeah. And so that theme of can we bridge the gap between elves and humans? Ultimately, the answer on some level is going to be yes, right? Is we're going to get yeah. the last alliance in the end, right? Mm -hmm. But um, that they're going to be exploring those frontiers, like where the boundaries are between humans and elves in the early. So, yeah. like, what could make more sense than that? You know, what could be what could what could be more sensible than to be asking those questions? So, um, what you know. How does that work? Um, we can see a, a bunch of sour relationships be built as well. Absolutely. Uh, not only, not only, you know, we have uh, the the last alliance where men and elves do join together, but then yeah. we have people like the Dunlendings who very much get the short end of the stick far yeah. too often, and we can see the seeds of that. Oh, oh, the Numenorians came over and chopped down our forests. Then, oh, oh, you you just you come over and you build uh, you, your yeah. your kingdom of Gondor, and then you give away part of our kingdom to yeah. Rohirrim. Yeah. Just give it away. Part yeah. of Kalanathar was belonged to the Dunlendings, and this is yeah. the source of tension that a lot of people don't know about. So, for sure, know, there's so yeah. many things to play with there. Lots of really you can see interesting the beginning, stuff. The planting of a bunch of seeds. Yeah, yeah. Now we're uh, we're uh, almost out of time for our first segment here, but I wanted to touch. I mean, obviously, a thing that lots and lots of people are talking about that I want to get your perspective on um, is the, the 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 race question, the the multiracial casting for the show, and a lot of people thinking about that. A lot of people upset about that in various ways. Um, yeah. uh, you know, just in, interested to hear your perspective on that. So, if I could be as candid as possible. Uh, since I, I have a, a platform to speak and it's not just a, a video where, you know, I have a minute or two to articulate myself. Let me say this. I understand parts of people's issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm not some, oh, I just want it to be because I'm a person of color. I just want pe people of color to be included no matter the cost or people's beliefs or the writing or anything like that. I understand people being purists in the sense that, hey, this was written this way. I just like it to be how it was written because, you know, I'm very much that way myself. Um, even the Lord of the Rings movie, which I think are the greatest movies ever, I have a lot of problems with things that aren't translated from the book. So I understand that. Mm -hmm. But what we have to do is take, uh, take a, a moment, step aside, and we have to say, okay, as a culture going forward in society, something may have been one way in the past but going forward in the future, for the betterment of our people, is it okay to have inclusiveness? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with inclusiveness. They're not taking characters. They're not taking Gandalf. They didn't make Galadriel black. They didn't take Celebrimbor or Sauron and make them black. They made new characters, and they said, well, it's possible that these characters had darker skin. There are darker skin characters. Maybe, maybe some of the elves did. 
and and they didn't overstep their bound, but they tried to be inclusive. And I think that's a fair balance. And I think you're not trying to be fair by you just trying to keep it one way when you right. don't even know Tolkien's mind or his heart. Everybody's saying, well, Tolkien this, Tolkien that. You do not know. That man died in 1973. Very few of us are even uh, uh, were even alive at that time. And I'm not <laughs> one of them. I was born in 80. So, you know, it's we, we just have to stop uh, interjecting ourselves as Tolkien. We don't know what he would have done. Um, understand going forward in the future, things are, are, you know, that are getting pushed, but not nothing's political about people make color political. And it, that's my racism political. My race or inclusion is not political. You're making it political. You're saying it's woke. It's not woke. It's just right. You know, you, you, you wouldn't have a problem saying, well, we shouldn't kill anybody. Should I say, well, why not? That's political, you saying that. That doesn't make sense, right? You're like, well, it's just right and wrong. This is just right and wrong. Nobody should get up in arms about it. Um, nobody's trying to take over uh, fantasy or take it from uh, people of any ethnicity or race. Nobody's trying to take it. We're all trying to enjoy it and love it. Um, I think, honestly, there's very few few people on this earth could fully argue with me about Lord of the Rings and give me a good go um, and I don't mean to be cocky, and then I just know I love it so much, and I know what I'm talking about. And I'm black, and it's completely written by a white man, and this, that, and the third. And but look, who he made somebody of color appreciate what he did and the culture that he brought, and he brought it from so many different cultures. It's not just English culture. A lot of people yes. are saying that 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 doesn't actually make sense. No, English culture um, and mythology from the time he was saying actually um, predated Rome. And those mythologies, many different races and people lived there. Um, and, and then when, especially when Rome colonized it and and then it changed afterwards and it became different. But um, people should learn history before they speak and say crazy things like that. Um, they should wait until the, the show is out to give your final judgment. I never said, I'm going to love the show. I said, I like the trailer. I'm seeing where they're going. I, I like what I see so far because I'm thinking of things in my mind in the past, um, from what I what I know. I'm not just, you know what, I don't like that. I know they don't have much to work with, so I'm empathetic to their situation and an understanding of that. I know that they're looking forward to the future and they're trying to be inclusive as possible with being respectful as possible. They didn't change any character that you know in their color or race or skin, not any of that you know. They're all characters that don't exist, so there's nothing wrong with that, which is a good thing. Um, and I know that literally, literally, they have a few pages they are literally allowed to draw from <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, um, the Hobbit, and a few pages in the appendix. Appendages. That's it. Yeah, that's if it. you knew how little it was, you would literally shut your mouth and just be like, <laughs> it, they literally are doing working miracles because it's yeah. crazy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So um, I, hope, I hope that came across correct. And I think everybody needs to just calm down, get along. Um, you know, like I said, I understand, but only to a certain extent. I, I don't accept any racism or bigotry. That I will not, no matter how much you love Lord of the Rings. I think there's no place for that here. Um, and I just think we need to give the show a chance and let it come out, and then we'll see how it goes. And I may I may be the first person to be like, I don't like it. I hate it. You don't know that. I don't know right. that. But I'm giving right. it a chance because it's something I love. Why wouldn't I give something I love a chance? You know, I gave The Hobbit a chance. I hate The Hobbit. I hate it. With the, I mean, it makes my blood boil. But I gave it a chance. I appreciate the effort. 
what they tried to do. I think they messed up some things, but at least I gave it a chance before I judged it. Right. And, that, you know, that's the thing that to me, I just I in, in the end, I just find it mind blowing. Right. A lot of the people that I've been into and I've been yelled at a lot, um, you know, on social media over the last couple of weeks. And a lot of the people that I've been in, interacting with that are yelling at me um, will just like they they are explicitly defending the idea that like, no, we don't need to wait and give it a chance. Like we can't wait and see. We need to judge this now and take a stand yeah. now against. And I'm like, a stand against what? Like you, what you literally against? don't know what we're talking about <laughs> yet. Yeah, I mean, and you know, people want to. People are quoting these. You know, like here's the like guidelines that they like how they have to include people of color and they have to include LBGT plus people and everything. And I'm like, okay. Um, so what? That doesn't tell me anything about what they're going to do. Like even yeah. you know, t even t even even to say these guidelines exist doesn't tell you anything about this. I mean, it's it's sort of like saying it would be like saying because I know where the boundary lines are painted on a tennis court, right? And therefore the rules of the game that the tennis player has to play within. Therefore, I know exactly what this person's strategy is going to be in this tennis yeah. match. Yeah. No, you don't. There are lots of ways you can play and still try to hit the ball within those lines, right? Yeah. And it's the same. The same is true here. Like, okay, like so, so, so they made the decision from the beginning, as as you said, to be inclusive in their casting, right? Great. How, what's that going to look like? How are they going to do that? What kinds of stories are they going to tell, and how are they going to involve those stories, and how are those stories going to relate to Tolkien's world and Tolkien stories? And we don't know any of those things yet. We don't know we any of those don't things know until we see how them. they how they made it made sense. We don't know any of that, and people are just jumping out the window. The the biggest thing that I've seen when this is this topic comes up is um, false equivalency. People mm -hmm. who don't want people of color in the show have a, a, a habit of saying, well, how would you like it if we made Martin Luther King white? And I'm like, what? How would you like it if we made Black Panther white? And I said, do you know what false equivalency is? What you're doing is you're, you're making something that is integral to the character, right? and then you're trying to change it and asking me, how would I like that? When nothing that's integral to any of the characters that you know in Lord of the Rings has to do with their color, except for a very few. Very and few even are that, so and, well described that I'm yeah. sorry, so well no, described right, yeah. that you know exactly yeah. the color of the skin, the color of the hair. But everybody else, it's up for grabs. So it's not integral to the story. Yeah. It doesn't make the story move forward. It doesn't make it change. There's no Africa in Middle Earth. People have this thing where they're like, "Well, how are they dark skinned? How are they black? They're not. There's no Africans. There's no Africa in Middle Earth. It's fantasy. <laughs> it's made up. Literally, if you look at, I posted a video. If you look at Thrundwill from 1977 Rankin and Bass version of The Hobbit, he is literally gray or greenish, and nobody right. had a problem with it. It's a beloved version, and he's he's not human at all. And everybody was fine with that. But you look at Elrond in that same version, he's white, and he and he has a beard, which he doesn't have, and nobody freaked out. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. It's, it shows that, are you really mad about accuracy as far as that goes or are you mad because they're black character or uh afro latino or or women or lbgtq or qt i'm sorry if i said it wrong but you know i always get of, the letters wrong that. too I, I don't and I, I, no disrespect <laughs> yeah, no, but, my apologies <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but, yeah you know but, no i i agree i mean and 
I, I would I would go one step even further. Even the characters for whom there is some, and it's never much, evidence yeah, never about much. what their skin color is, it's not in, uh, for none of them. Is it integral? Again, comparing to so here are two comparisons that I would make. Like what you were just suggesting, right? Take Black Panther and Wonder Woman, right? If you make yeah. Black Panther white or Wonder Woman male, right? If you cast a guy as Wonder Woman, you're that's a different story, right? <laughs> now you can tell that different story if you want to, but you're telling a completely different story, different right? Story, yeah. um, just as you would be if Black Panther was white. You, you're, you're yeah. now you're telling a different story, right? And I'm not saying it wouldn't. As who knows, maybe it might be an interesting story, but it's a totally different story, different right? Story. There is no racial parallel in Tolkien. There is no yeah. character for now. Okay, hang on a second. Let me pause and correct my own self. Um, racial, yes, in Tolkien's world. Like, if it's an elf or a dwarf or something like that, right? Yeah, but skin and, and that color, sense of the race. In that sense color, of race, no. absolutely, it's important. But skin yeah. color, like, it's, it's... Even the people that we know for... And there are so few, so many fewer than people think, that we have positive evidence of what their skin color was. Yeah. Um, for none of them is there... There's no parallel between There's you know no... Wonder Woman and Black Panther in this way yeah. like the whiteness of the characters is is not it's it's so not important to Tolkien he didn't yeah. he spent almost no time on that at all mm -hmm. there are places where you can see um some evidence that when he was picturing this person in his mind he was probably picturing a white person there are places yeah. where you can see evidence for that but that's not at all the same thing as to say it is the a, a founding stone of this character that they are white. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that whiteness itself as a concept matters. I mean, goodness, whiteness yeah. itself as a concept hadn't even been invented before Tolkien died. You know, yeah. like no one was thinking this way or talking this way any time in Tolkien's lifetime, practically. Right. So it's it's um, it's very it's very uh, it's very tricky. Um, but um yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's I. I it, but but again, at the end of the day, I just I can't really respect anybody who says it's not okay to wait and see. Like it's not okay to actually judge the product. I insist on yeah. condemning it. You know, before before I've seen it, before anything has happened like that. I can't. I, I just can't good, respect that perspective. Out. If it's good, they're going to miss out. Um, if they want to be hateful. Um, that's what we have the block button for. It's be, it's worked wonders for me. Um, you know, people have been saying some egregious things, and cool. It's like not even get upset. I can't get upset because something's wrong with you. I know that <laughs> I'm a good person. I try to my best to be. I'm not perfect by any means, but I try my best to be a good person, loving, caring person, a respectful person, um, understanding, um, open person. So if I see somebody not being that way, it's I don't have to look at myself and be like, what's wrong with them? Why me? No, I look at them and say, something's wrong with them. I have, they made block for, specifically for this reason. Block them. I don't have to deal with them. They can't see my stuff. I don't have to see their hate. And uh, hopefully they go get help and they move on with their life. Um, you know, anybody I can change their mind or, or get them to open up. I love people like that because it's hard to change people when they're so set. But it shows growth. It shows, you know, um, openness. It shows, you know, just character to be able to go against something that you're so deep rooted in. And for you to be able to do that. That's awesome. And I'm willing to talk to those people and work with those people. But anybody else who's just stuck in their ways, you're going to be stuck in it. And you're going to see that you're on the wrong side of history. And that's the end of that. 
we'll be talking a lot about fan reaction and engagement and things like that. And I feel like engagement is just like the biggest word we can use in all of this of just, you don't have to engage with that. Dink. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Out. yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. All right. Awesome. Well, we've had a lot of your time. Thanks a lot. New better. Really appreciate awesome. uh, your perspective. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, maybe we can yeah, have you back great. another time. Uh, maybe when we get more Anytime. stuff and there's more stuff to talk yeah. about, we'll get you back again. Anytime, so. man. Anytime awesome. I, I have some stuff I want to talk about with you. So I'll definitely will uh will correspond back and forth. And it was very nice um being on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys thinking of me and, and inviting me. And I really had a great time. Such a wonderful conversation and I look forward to more. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right, guys. So much. Thanks. All right. <laughs> See ya. See you later. Take it easy. All right. So uh Maggie and I are gonna stick around for a little bit. Because uh, we have some other things we wanted to talk about, uh, some but I kind feel of like stuff. I should. I feel like I should just say that I had to just sit back and watch that magic because <laughs> I, I, I know there were some comments about like poor Maggie can't get a word in. I had no words to get in there. These guys <laughs> talk this out. Uh, if if you haven't seen me before, I'm not a Tolkienist. I do not have the Tolkien lore, so I can definitely participate in the conversation, but I will not have the correct names and the age and all that stuff. I do adaptation and film and fan reaction and engagement and audience and things like that. So we're going to bounce off each other for conversation. But yeah, I mean, I just want to sit back and be like, tell me more. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that was oh man. Fascinating yeah. just to hear the two of you that we have to have him back. Cause that was the tiniest of topics that we can talk for ages that absolutely. And, and right yeah. attitude, you know, coming at this with a deep breath and a, a careful thought before engaging in any of the really deep thinking and, yeah, all the stuff he was saying about like uh, just people getting angry first, and you don't have to do that. I think some people think they have a place at the table if they get mad, thinking like, "Oh, I'm the best Tolkien fan because I'm angry." Yes, mm, I'm sorry yeah. for you. <laughs> it's it's hard. It, it is hard, and and I I mean I I can I was never quite exactly like that. I think, but I can like remembering back to my own like I I was I, you know I've said before I'm like I'm. I, I'm a reformed purist. You know, I used to be a purist um, and I can easily imagine like there, but for the grace of God, go. I like I could have gone in that direction. You know, um, I remember what it sort of feels like to say the more outraged I am, the more that like shows my credentials as a fan, like the more you can tell that I, you know, yep. am serious and that I love this and that I should be taken seriously uh, as a fan. It's a very natural trap. I think it is a trap to fall into yeah. as a fan, um, but it's a very natural, it's, it's a very natural trap. And especially so there is so much, um, so much focus on that, you know, so much, uh, in, in, that is that kind of thing uh, gets rewarded, you know, uh, it, it gets rewarded, you know, on social media, it gets rewarded on YouTube, that kind of outrage, right. You know, people get attention for, uh, for, for doing that. Yeah. And, um, and so therefore it kind of, it makes it, easier to think like we'll see those like really serious legit fans you know who are getting all these follows and likes over here do this and i mean it's it's just it kind of reinforces yes. the whole thing and it's it's really hard but but yeah i um at the end of the day i just as i say i can't it's hard but i can't respect somebody who is not willing to like watch it before drawing conclusions about it you know well, I, mean, it, I, I mean i remember it's the back most in the basic early thing 
Oh, yeah, I remember back in the early days of Harry Potter being like, oh, that's kids lit. I hate that stuff. Like, right. that's fine, but you have to read it before you hate it. Like, you have right. to know what you're hating on before you throw it under the bus. And absolutely, this is probably actually a really good segue into talking a little bit about the language of adaptation. Yeah, yeah, let's I do think... that. So we, we, the, this last segment that we wanted to do yeah. to probably the last, we may talk about some other stuff, too. Um, and this is, you know, and I was telling everybody, Maggie, how much I was missing you last week and how, or last time and how... Um, uh, uh, much I'm looking forward to having you here because you have you know so much more about the process of adaptation and the implications of adaptation and so I'm very much an amateur when it comes to that because I've been very I've become very interested in adaptation um, through talking about Tolkien and seeing Tolkien adaptations over the years and things so I've thought more about it you know a lot over the last 10 years or whatever but um, uh, but you know this is this is something that you uh, you know vocabulary you are so much more I, I know I have so much to learn from you so uh we're gonna have some uh segments where we're just gonna be discussing just kind of vo vocabulary like making sure that people kind of just, just ideas what's going you on. know yeah. and i and i think a lot of it like you were saying is really, really organic you know we both came at this from being fans first and then the more you expose yourself to ideas and thoughts and research and things like that then yeah you do start to kind of change your perspective so yeah, I definitely come at this from the perspective of an ACA fan that I was a fan first and then learned to right. hang on to my torch and my pitchfork and I'm ready to have a fight, but I'll keep it in my backpack and have an open <laughs> mind first. And, you know, right, right. so I think one of the things that Corey and I were talking about with this whole process is to just be able to, like, have an open conversation about adaptation first and foremost and to bring that into this sphere i think is just really important because it's a process and yeah we want to meet yeah. people where they are and i want them to meet me where i am and everything's okay with that and let's chat about why you hated that and what's important yeah. and what's not and you know so there's a lot of films that are based off of my favorite books that i absolutely hate mm -hmm. but i watched them and it didn't ruin the book for me so right. like i still have that relationship with my love but I'm very happy to put lighter fluid and fire on the film and never watch it again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And again, it's another thing that I just, I don't know. Well, i mean, there doesn't seem to be anything I can say to people who are in this place. Right. But the catastrophizing, that is going on with people, you know, that like Tolkien is being just the corporations are going to destroy Tolkien like they've destroyed everything else. And I'm like, come on, people like well, and, and just like really basic stuff, like listening to you guys talk about, you know, the characters that are described, very few of them in the second age, like, you know, you were saying, uh, well, uh, no better was saying how limiting that is. And I'm like, oh, no, from a creative standpoint, that is fantastic. They're so. <laughs> little yeah, fact that right, they can do right. whatever they want with it but you are making these statements like elven king well they're king of somebody they're king of a kingdom so we have right. to be able to create that kingdom which means i have to make some stuff up right. and if i right. want that elven king to be mean then i need to come up with some instances where he right. is so you have people to you be know, mean to right, right. Yeah. some real basics that right. like this has to happen yeah yeah. Um, okay. So, so yeah, if we just want to like, like one of the things that we were talking about doing was just like some PSAs and some, some general chat about adaptation. So I figured I would just start with some like real bare basic. Let's just talk about some of the pitfalls of talking about adaptations. And I want to potentially do two little examples um, of their Harry Potter. I'm sorry. I know I'm in the wrong fandom at the moment. Um, but this is just one of the it's, things that I find really easy to use. So 
it's they, they provide excellent illustrations for sure there you go um but yeah, i'm like the language if you want to uh kick up a slide the the language of adaptation and the people at the table is just like one of the main problems that you, you initially come into when you're talking about adaptation so first of all the people at the table like who's involved how why there's so many more people involved uh, and that is often one of the main issues that I think people have as a fan of a book because the fan of a book right. is a so solitary experience. I'm reading this book. I'm becoming friends with these people. I'm spending the time. I mean, it takes a long time to read these texts and I'm learning their names. I'm learning their family. I'm spending this time with them alone, creating this world in my head. So then it is so alienating when you step into a cinema and what is shown to you is completely foreign to what you pictured in your head. Yes. It, it, it just, the, the only thing you can say is it's wrong. So right. not only is it different and, and, and different from what you expected, there's a real feeling of hurt. There's a real feeling of the words that we hear most in adaptation assessment, betrayal. We have words like fidelity Yes. We have words like bastardization. Right. There are some heavily, heavily emotive words in adaptation theory um, that there's a bunch of people that have tried to uh, change the conversation. And one of the biggest guys is Robert Stam. So if this is a thing that you're into, just Google Robert Stam. Um, and he wrote a bunch about some of the different language that we should use. And it, that's the tricky bit. You know, when we're talking about these really personal texts and then you go and see it and it's different than what you expected there is this feeling of betrayal. So if somebody yeah. is a super fan and wants to be known as a super fan and they watch the trailer and something is different than they expected it, they're going to go straight to anger and straight to defensive and straight to, you know, Outrage. mean. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's not why we're here. So I think one of the things to just flag up is this language of adaptation. It's tough. It's emotive. So we will try to not use those words, but we will talk about those words a lot. So we won't use them in assessing, but we will absolutely say, let's talk about fidelity. You know, what does that mean? What yeah. is a close adaptation? What is a loose adaptation? What are the pros and cons of these things? Um, what are some of the challenges that we could see in the Lord of the Rings Amazon production? And what are some of the opportunities? You know, some of these things that I think are, are pretty awesome. Um, and then the people at the table is just kind of the other thing to keep in mind. Like an author, maybe they have a partner or a publisher, mm -hmm. maybe some beta readers that will feed into to what they're creating. That's about it. They definitely don't have any concept of budget. You know, they can create anything <laughs> right. they want. <laughs> right. And the paper is not expensive. But yeah, when you start talking about a film adaptation and you know, you say something like the dragon flew over the mountain city well, that's expensive. How are we going to do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> so all of a sudden you have to make decisions. All of a sudden you have to make decisions. And, and you know, one of the, one of the examples that I often go text in a God awful film, but insanely popular, huge fan base, like 2007 adaptation. And it's, it's a badly written book, but it's very entertaining. I think and then the film was was just pretty abysmal because they spent all their money on shots of the dragon and there was no story so instead of building up character instead of building up tension they focused on this really fancy cg dragon so you can see where some of the outrage would be if you're spending your money on that dragon flying over the city instead of story then yeah that's a decision 
So I think when you're dealing with somebody like Lord of the Rings fans, if you're going to choose CG tricks over content. Yeah. Uh, that's Maggie, can I just ask, I, you froze for a second. We actually missed the title of the book. Oh, sorry. Aragon. Aragon. That's what I thought you were talking about. Christopher yeah. Paolini's like a 2007 yeah. film adaptation. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so that's just kind of the stuff to keep in mind. Cause like when we're talking about these, these adaptations to screen, like, yeah, you've got a budget that is step one. We have to consider how and what, and you know, you know that money's being spent on this and they're sparing no expense on costume and uh, location and the insurance would be insane. The music would be huge. Like there's so <laughs> many factors at play, right. but that's one thing. And then you think, well, the studio behind it, the creators behind it, the DP, the lighting guy, the sound guy, like everybody has their own interpretation. And yes, there's like an overarching view from the director and, and the, the art director and things like that, but everyone's gonna have their own interpretation. Exactly what you said last time, Corey, if like, when you read a text, you get one thing. When you read it again, you get more. When you read it 10 years later, when you have some life experience, you get so much more. So if there's a single line that says the dragon flew over the mountain city, 10 people are gonna picture that completely differently. Even with yes. concept art, I'm gonna interpret that differently. Right. So yeah, I mean, there's no clear answer to this. All this is to say, take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. I understand where the feelings of betrayal come from because it's a very personal thing going in to see an adaptation of a beloved text. I mean, you're, you're going to hurt one of my family members and I am here to defend them. Right. It is. It, it, it's it's really out. important to acknowledge that. And I, do, you know, there's a lot of things that I say to kind of tell people to calm down and tell people not to be so upset and everything. It's very important to acknowledge. And I absolutely do acknowledge the visceral reaction, right? It's very emotional and I don't, I, I don't blame anybody for having the, like, we all have these feelings, right? We all have these reactions um, one way and another. Um, and it, it's not I'm, not, I'm not saying it's wrong to feel that way. I'm not also saying it's wrong to dislike something, you know? Like, oh, totally. You can dislike it. Um, and, and certainly I'm not saying that you can't, uh, like, decide, you know, you, 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 that like, you know, because I will say things like, for instance, I will say, the movie is a is a different story. Like it's it's not the book. You know, the movie is one thing. The book is another thing. That doesn't mean that I'm saying that you can't compare. You know that 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 it's. I think you can draw conclusions and say things like, okay, at the end of the day, this doesn't work for me. This doesn't fit for me. I think they've missed the picture of the books in some really fundamental ways. Um, that uh, that for me make this adaptation a really unsuccessful adaptation, and mm -hmm. the story that they've told, which is a different story, but it's a much worse story and a much less interesting story uh, and a much less powerful story than the book, or whatever. Like that's absolutely one can one can draw those conclusions, and that may often be true. Um, all that I do very very strongly advise is just to to separate that, to distinguish between that. And the emotional reaction, right? Don't mistake the emotional reaction for analysis because it's yes. almost never going to be. Um, it's almost never going to be. And don't and don't rob yourself of that opportunity. I mean, it's it's absolutely possible that you could love both things and they're incredibly different. Like I I think about Ready Player One. I I think the film is completely different from the book, and I love them both, which mm -hmm. is rare, right? Right. And right. and this is quite controversial, but you know, as an adaptation specialist, like 
if it's not something I'm working on or I'm studying, I see the film first and then I read it because I tend to really like both. Right. <laughs> it's like getting right. my own private, like special features DVD, you know, menu. Right. Like I get more and right. I really enjoy that. Right. And I have to but, admit like my own, I do. I am one of those people who insists on reading the book first before I see the film. Um, and I will postpone seeing a film for years because I haven't read the book yet. Um, but uh, but that is shamelessly a bias towards books <laughs> for me. Like I'm, I'm you know, to, for me, I, I, I am. I am coming in with the bias that uh, I'm viewing the book as like the primary work of art and the film as a separate story, but as a, as a secondary of, it is to me of secondary interest to the book. Well, and, and so and I always so want to read the book first, but. Yeah. And I think so much of this just comes down to uh, your own process. So like, I hope we keep coming back to this statement too, of like, whatever you end up feeling at the end of the day is the right feeling if you went into this with the right attitude, you know, like right. if you decide to hate the Amazon series, you are welcome to do that because you have come into it with an open mind and you have tried and you have thought about it and you've analyzed and you have discussed and you don't like it, you know, right. but if you come into it, hating it and then you hate it, I, I don't have a lot of time for that. <laughs> well, and there's nothing to say about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, and so I just, it kind of wishes me, makes me wish that people who are in that would just not talk as much because <laughs> You have not like by definition, you can have nothing interesting to say if you've just made up your mind before you see anything that yeah. it's going to be horrible. Guess what? Like there is a 100 percent chance that your that conclusion is going to be confirmed by whatever it is you do see or, you know, what it, yeah. it's just the way it is. And, that's, and there's inc just and there's incredible that strength. out is not. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and there's incredible strength in social media, and I'm so glad that we have these communities that are able to have these conversations and, and things like that. But I'm not going to take your platform away, but I don't have to engage with it. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. engagement is just like my, my buzzword with all of this now. Just right, I, don't, right. I don't have to. Hey, I like um, Nettlebrew has another really cool example, actually. Um, this is his contender for liking both is Blade Runner and Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Totally. Really, really good example. Um, mm -hmm. uh, very different. Very different from each other. Um, I also like the book and the movie. Uh, and the, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, suggestion. Yeah. And that's probably a nice little segue to the other slides if we want to do at sure. least one of them of just, it's also because it's a different language. Like we're, we're spending pages and pages getting beautiful descriptions of something. And it's, it's our interpretation of that, of that thing. And then in a visual sense, we're shown that, but we also get camera angles and lighting and music and grading and movement and animals and cars and whatever else is, is there that maybe we hadn't originally pictured when just reading the text. So I think the other thing is to just realize this is a totally different medium that has a very different power in telling that story. So while I might miss some of the word for word text from my favorite book, it's somehow still there. It's just woven into this different way of sharing the story. So the, the example I've got here, uh, this is from the sixth Harry Potter. And this is um, Lavender Brown. Uh, Lavender I almost Brown. called her La yeah. Lavender Lovegood. That's nope. <laughs> right. yeah. this is no, Lavender no. Brown. Um, Lavender she Brown. and Ron yeah. are dating for a while. Um, and they're a very traditional teenage couple of just absolutely smitten with each other and snogging in corridors and, you know, obsessed. And she calls him Juan Juan. And it's just all this cheesy teenage right. love. 
Um, and this bit's kind of towards the end of their relationship where it's just getting a little bit stale and, and they break up soon afterwards. And she comes up to the train window. They're on the train to Hogwarts. She comes up to the train window, breathes on it, draws this heart and writes R plus L XX and goes, I miss you. That scene is six seconds long and it just makes you want to vomit all over your screen. It's just so uh, uh, like oppressive of, of her obsession and just, I get it, teenage love, ugh, you know, it just makes you, ugh. it's probably about 25 pages of text because it's not word for word, obviously. I'm I'm missing those scenes where she snags in the hallway and gives him that ugly locket and, and all this other right. stuff. I miss those right. things because they were fun to read. But like what I need from those 20 whatever pages is just moving on. Like I need the relationship to end and I need momentum to move forward to the next scene and the next story point. And I get that, but I get that in six seconds of screen time. Right. 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 I mean, that is just mad. Um, so yeah, just kind of keeping, keeping that in mind. And, and the next one, this one's a little bit different. Uh, still images still images have an incredible power and mm -hmm. you can incorporate still images into cinema. So this is from the last Harry Potter. Um, this is right after Ron has a big fight with them. And it's like, you don't know what you're doing. I'm so pissed off at this. Blah, blah, blah. I'm out of here. Right. Right. So he leaves and he doesn't, Harry doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, he's, he's very despondent and doesn't know where to go next. And Hermione's upset and crying in the tent because her, you know, love just left and she's also frustrated. And we get this shot, this shot. Uh, first of all, let's look at what he's doing. So like, he's on super unforgiving terrain, like kid is definitely going to break an ankle. Uh, <laughs> he's wearing really dark colors very muted very grim the only light source is coming from that top right corner which is his friend in the tent and a rising sun or a setting sun we don't know if it's rising or setting but the the light is in that top right corner and if you ever watch like road movies or any kind of travel movie 90 percent of the travel motion goes from left to right like that is just what happens you you move that direction in cinema to to progress so the fact that which, all is the is light that kind of modeling the reading direction in english basically that we're used to thinking so. left to right i assume so yeah. that's probably just a natural progression of just us thinking that is is right. how we progress yeah um and I, I feel like in this shot you just get this like urge for him to go towards the light like you're just pushing him that direction mm -hmm. um and I mean, I don't really have time to process all this in my brain when I'm watching the film, but all of this kind of sinks in somehow. The other thing with yeah. this shot is that this is eight seconds long. Most, if you want to be really annoying to your friends when you watch a film, you can count out the seconds of a shot. Most shots in films are three to six seconds. So if you're watching it, it's like one, two, three, cut, one, two, three, cut, one, two, three, four, one, two, you know, and they bounce back and forth to people talking or moving through whatever. This is held for eight seconds. So that to me means the filmmakers want us to sit with this. Right. Usually that means it's an establishing shot. Like it, it's showing us where we are, where we're getting a, a wide pan of Hogwarts or something. So we know where we are and it's setting us up for whatever's next. For this, I think it's emotion. It's like, sit with this. This is heavy. This is hard. This is frustrating. And then move towards your friend and go towards that light. Right. 
and that is eight seconds of screen time and it's probably 70 pages of text i was gonna say can i can i I tell you how much i prefer the eight seconds to the (laughs) what felt like 800 pages of text exactly like how long did they wander in those freaking woods like the camping was intense in book seven exactly and which i Um, also think was purposeful in the book i think the point was for us to get frustrated mm -hmm. yeah it worked i agree i agree it was a costly uh, narrative gambit, I think. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. It is frustrating and is meant to be. Um, but, um, but yeah. And and one of the things, you know, Maggie, that I'm kind of taking from this here, just listening to you describe and talk about this, right. Um, the way in which things are being said, right. When people think about, they need to be faithful to the book. Like it, it would be better if they took this straight from the book. Um, there, what what I often hear is there's a real oversimplification in what that means, right? Like you, when you're conveying something visually, you just you have a completely different vocabulary to use. Yeah. Like you just you can't um, the color of his clothes, as you were saying, the way the lighting works in that scene. The, these are these are. Vocabulary elements that might not be the right metaphor, but no, these that are, is right. Yeah, these are these are, these are techniques that you have. Right, this is how you tell the story. Right, this is how you convey a message. How you convey information to people, and it's it's, it's certainly not just by the words that are said. Um, it's not even just by the action and and how you know what happens and everything. Decisions like this, these are ways in which you can communicate things. But that set of techniques, that set of vocabulary is very different in a book. Mm-hmm. Like it's, 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 you'd tell. So even if you had in theory, a film and a book who were actually attempting to say precisely the same thing, they wouldn't do it in precisely nope. the same way. And the more you do try to just so like, okay, we're given a description of the room and of the people and what they're wearing. So let's just make sure that on screen, we do as much as we can to like go back and forth, you know, book to set and say, like, do it exactly. Take that like it's the stage prompt. Right. And do it exactly like that. Even if you did that, that doesn't mean that what is going to come up is going to be saying the same thing that the book was saying, because the whole set of vocabulary no. is quite different. It has a different effect in the book than it has in a film. And you can't forget all the people that, I mean, I I really glossed over that, but all the people behind it. I mean, I did this as an exercise in one of my classes once where I gave the students one line from Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, and I said, film this. So they filmed one line from the Line the Witch in the Wardrobe, and Mm -hmm. I got eight different versions of that one line. Because right. everyone's going to have a different interpretation. You know, how I view right. that, the camera will be in a different place. The the beaver den will look different. The costumes right. will be different. I mean, did you see the difference between the BBC adaptation and the the Walden Entertainment one? Like, first of all, right. that's budget, but also right. just totally different. So it's going to happen. I did miss the old beaver suit. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but no, I, yeah, I agreed. Agreed. And, and, and there's a sense in which, of course, again, I, when I talk about oversimplification, it isn't just the fact that the text and the film are speaking different languages, right? Are, are trying to say what they're trying to say in different languages. That's, that's, that's one thing. Um, but the, 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 the question of interpretation, as you were saying, right? That like, what Tolkien means, like what the Lord of the Rings means and what is the important thing that's going, that is going to vary 
very yeah. widely among people. And you're adding a whole like order of magnitude greater complexity when you have two things now, because now it's not just a question of what we're getting is the interpretation of the director of that passage of text. Of course, one step that you've already said, we're getting multiple people's interpretations, right? Director, art director, costume designer, uh, you know, lighting, editing, music, right? All of these things, all of those people. And, you know, even if they don't all share the same brain, right? So even if, no matter how closely they're working together and how unified is the vision of the director, there are going to be some different things, right, that are going on there. But wait, there's more than that, right? Because then you have, just as we can all read the same sentence of text and have different pictures in our heads and different understandings of what's important about it and what it means, the same is true of the... So we might all look at this image here, right, and say... And have different senses of it, right? Different interpretations of what this image means, what this image yeah. is saying to us, right? So we have many different reactions to what this image is saying, and this image itself contains many different reactions of what is said from the book. So the idea that you can be like, you must be faithful to Tolkien's vision, it's... it's Tolkien could never have imagined the tools that we have now either. Like right. Tolkien didn't didn't have half the the technology, more than half the technology that we have now to be able to make these things happen. Like I just watched this thing. Um, I'll see if I can find the link and send it to you about how they made the um, teaser trailer title of the Lord of the Rings on Amazon. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've seen they it, actually yeah. made it with the wood and they put with, me with, molten yeah, or, metal into it and all. Like yeah, it. Just, there's so many factors that like he couldn't have imagined any of that. And that was the title card, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And no, also just and, when you're thinking yeah. about like a literal adaptation, we will get into this another time, but when you're thinking about a literal adaptation, like there's a really famous film from like 1927 or something that tried a literal adaptation and it was nine and a half hours long. And then right. the studio cut it down to four hours and then the studio cut it again down to two hours, not involving the director. And it made no sense. Shocking. Right. And like, right. you know, a lot of us would love to see a nine hour version of one chapter of, of Lord of the Rings right. or something, but right. you know, we don't have the budget for that. I can't spend 150 pounds to go see a movie and, and all these factors that, that weigh into it. And this is like standard adaptation. We're talking about second age of middle earth, which doesn't have a line for line descriptor. It has lots of space for interpretation. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be exactly. real different. It is, it is. And then, of course, you add, when in the case of Tolkien, this extra element, right? Which is that we're not even dealing, you're not even just dealing with the book itself, right? That is the published book of The Lord of the Rings. Um, you have to ask, and this is, of course, going back to what we were talking about, you know, with Newbetter earlier on, Um if you're if you're going to ask the question, is it being true to Tolkien's vision? Well, first you've got to answer the question, but which vision, right? Yeah, which what vision? Because he had a bunch of different visions for this, and it's true one of them got published, right? Um, but here's the thing I would say to folks who would say, okay, look, um, we we have all this unpublished stuff that Tolkien wrote and thought, right? But we have the published, but the the published books are canon. That is authoritative. And by the way, I want to do a discussion of the word canon and its various usages at some point later on, because there's a lot to talk about there. Um, but anyway, 
the people who say like, okay, there is the published Lord of the Rings, and you can't talk about anything. You know, it's like it's not even legitimate to say there are different versions out there because there's the one published version, and then the other things that he just thought and never even authorized the publication of, right? And the main thing I would say to people who say that is, are you really saying, are you giving the authority to the publisher to decide which of Tolkien's thoughts are legit and which ones are not legit? No, he never published the 1937 Quintus Silmarillion. He didn't finish it either, but he didn't finish it because it was not getting published. He was on the way towards finishing it um, when his publishers refused to publish it. Right? He never published the 1937 Quintus Silmarillion, but that's not his fault. No, he never published. Uh, he never published uh, the Lay of Lathian, but that's not his fault either. He tried several times, right? Um, he never published his later Silmarillion thoughts, where, by the way, the world is round from day one of creation, um, and there is no, you know, making of the world round and um, you know all that stuff. Like, he never published that either, but that's also not his fault. He died before he could finish the massive, enormous project that he was doing to redo everything and make it all fit. Um, and why was he doing that? Because he wanted it to fit with the Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to say the Lord of the Rings is it, well, then I guess you should be all about that, right? And, he's, and, and again, so it's it's not it's not simple. It's just not a simple situation. You can't. And, and, it's, yeah. and it's still a human publishing a book. Like talk to published authors. I bet there are loads that wish that they had been able to put that chapter in or that character yes. in and didn't have yes. to cut X, Y, Z. So we don't know what his actual vision is. The published book might not be it. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there is this There's plenty of evidence to think of that. Yeah. There's I mean, goodness, human the Hobbit, behind he, try, he was, he was, he was trying, he wanted to rewrite the Hobbit and redo it completely. Um, you know, does that mean that like we have to, you know, again, like, like, and obviously again, I'm not at all criticizing anybody who loves the published works. I do too. Right. Yeah. Um, and even like the Hobbit, I think the published Hobbit is way better than the revision of the Hobbit that he started. And at least what we have of it from 1960. Um, but again, if, 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 if you're talking about, we need to root this in Tolkien's vision in Tolkien's where it has to fit Tolkien's world. That is not a simple situation. And if you're acting and talking like it is, you're either fooling yourself or you're not being honest with yourself or you just don't know, which is fine. Like there's no harm. There's no, uh, there's no, there's, there's no, it's, you know, not, not knowing any of that background is, is, is not a sin, but let's learn about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. There's so much more to discuss. Um, another reason to think things through, uh, and discuss them rather than just reacting, um, yeah. in the way that so many people have. I'm like, I can keep going, but I feel like we probably have to wrap up. Yeah, we probably should wrap up fairly soon. There's a whole bunch of other things I want to come back to, but I keep telling myself this is this is why I made the leap to decide that we should do this weekly, because there's a lot to talk about. And more is going to come up, of course, as we go. And I was also panicking, like, what am I going to say? I don't know. And then two seconds in, you're like, oh, my God, we have so much to say. We have so much to say. It's just, yeah, it's not even funny. I do also feel like we should find some way to let people submit topics or questions or things that they bother we'll go through the chat and stuff won't we and just pull out some ideas but we can yeah nice that, that's a dynamic 
that's a, that's a it's a good idea. Also, as we're trying to feel our way through how we do the shows and stuff, um, mm. it is hard because I wanted. There's a whole bunch of things I want to do at this. I mean, I've been kind of keeping an eye on the chat as we go through. I'd love to be doing more like open Q and A with folks who are attending live. That's kind of a big part of my vision for this too. But I also want to be able to kind of discuss through some of these issues, you know, that like we, what we've just been talking about. Of course, and I want to have guests and come in and it's hard to do everything all at once. So we'll we're going to try to balance some things as we move forward yeah. and see what we can do. Maybe we'll try to do like a one-off Q&A session. So that's all we do for a session. Yeah, you know. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss. We'll let you know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Well, at least, and you guys will help us figure it out as we go. So, you yeah. know, there we are. Um, but um, anyway, lots more to talk about. Uh, and uh, we should be back. Uh, we should be back next week uh, for uh, episode number three. Um, and who knows what we'll talk about next week. So much more to talk about. I know there's uh, um, one of the things that I would like to talk about. I'm not going to squeeze it in here at the end. Um I've been getting a lot of uh, discussion and pushback about the things that I said about Critfic, which I would love to describe a little Ooh. bit more. Uh, and uh, and because I think there's still um, there's one or two things that I there's one or two things that I would I think take back from how I said it. Well, let me just say that right up front. Here's the thing that I would take back from what I said it. I I think in retrospect, I shouldn't have been so strong in telling people not to do it. At the end of the day, if what you like doing, instead of discussing a film or a TV series and its relationship to a book, if what you really like doing instead is speculating about what were the motivations behind the people who made it, um, then I really should say, instead of trying to convince you not to do that, then I really should say, like Mr. Darcy, I would by no means suspend any pleasure of yours. Um, like, do it. If that's what you want to do, do it. Um, the point. So I, 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 my own, my own bias was sort of showing through there. I dislike that, and I think that that just gets in the way of actual substantive discussion of the thing itself. So I, I, I should have like, if what you want to do is discuss the thing, um, if you want to really do analysis of the, you know, the, the film, the TV show, the book. Critfic is nothing but a dis will always distract you and therefore should be avoided, as I was suggesting, if that's your goal. But if that's not your goal, like whatever, man, like you do you. Like I, I, so that's that, that's the one thing I regret from how I from how I said that. I should have been a little bit clearer about the kind of framework I was operating under with that. There are some other things that I think are just um, uh, a lot of the responses or kind of rebuttals I've gotten about it have been, um, I, I think, just kind of misunderstanding the point of it. Um, uh, and again, a lot of that, my own fault. So uh, we'll talk about that more probably, probably next week. You're, but. you're human. This is That's what it. we do. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and let's, uh, by all means continue the discussion. So, um, um, all right. Thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, look forward to further conversation. Thanks Maggie. So glad you could be here and we will, uh, uh, we will look forward to next more next week. So, uh, thanks everybody. See you guys soon. Yeah.